0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening, and as always, thanks to our sponsor, KnowledgeMine, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. If you want the most advanced safety technology adapted from the human performance principles of the nuclear and aviation industries, then KnowledgeMine is error reduction that works. They were the first company to tie human performance to serious injury and fatality or SIF precursors. Learn more at knowledgevine.com.
1: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed oil and gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart.
0: Today, my guest on the show is Sable McKilvin. Sable, did I get that right?
1: You did. You got it correct.
0: Well, how about that? I oftentimes butcher up names with my uh, Texas accent here. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show today, Sable.
1: I'm really appreciative of you having me. Thank you.
0: Well, we're glad to have you on because I actually met you at a uh, Oilfield Helping Hands luncheon, and as always, whenever I get the opportunity, I like to give a shout out to Oilfield Helping Hands. If especially for so many of our listeners in in Texas and especially the Houston area, Oilfield Helping Hands is a charitable organization that helps oil and gas employees in times of crisis with uh, financial emergencies. So we're always happy to promote them on the show. And Ellie, you were at the luncheon, I think it was last week, if I remember correctly. You're the director of Ellie Mental Health at the Tanglewood facility in Houston, Texas. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Yeah, we're right close to the Galleria.
0: Yeah, so I was just going to say for people who know the Houston area, they probably know where Tanglewood is, but for people who don't, it is a rather uh, the Galleria being the most upscale, I don't even know if you can call it a mall anymore, but anyway, upscale <laughs> shopping center and various other different things in Houston, Tanglewood's very upscale neighborhood. So, uh, Sable, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure, happy to. So, as you mentioned, I'm the clinic director at Tanglewood, the Elemental Health Tanglewood office, and I have a doctorate in health administration. I just finished back in May. So well, I'm, congratulations. I of doing-
0: so, it's Dr. Mickelvin.
1: It is. It is Dr. McKelvey. It is. Yeah. But aside from that, I'm also a licensed clinical social work supervisor. Been a social worker for, oh goodness, probably about seven years or now. So, somewhere along there.
0: You went to school and got a degree in social work?
1: Mm -hmm. I did. I got my master's degree in social work out of UT Arlington. And yeah, it was a really wonderful program. I decided to become a social worker after my mother developed cancer and I saw some things that she went through, you know, getting some help from other social workers like her. But before that, even, I was considering becoming a social worker after being a teacher. I was a teacher for a little bit, and I had several students that needed a lot of support. And back probably about 10-15 years ago, there wasn't as much support in the schools as there are now when it comes to mental health. And so I really saw the impact of having someone that was there and could listen to people when they needed it the most.
0: So you went from teaching to social work. I can kind of relate to that. My daughter has a degree, and she actually has a bachelor's in social work, and her master's is actually in education. She was in social work, and then she switched over to the educational system. So that kind of speaks to what you were uh, talking about. Mm
1: -hmm, For
0: sure. Tell us a little bit about Ellie Mental Health. Who is Ellie?
1: So Ellie Mental Health was actually founded out of Minnesota. I couldn't tell you exactly who Ellie is, but it's not the owner's name. (laughs) I believe she's an LMFT or a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she developed Ellie Mental Health in Minnesota and then decided to start to franchise. It's now the largest mental health franchise in the US with over 500 locations, several locations here in the Houston area, but really all around the country. And then with the Tanglewood office, the reason why that office started was because the owners, Ashley and Dustin, and Dustin currently works in oil and gas, but Ashley also used to work in oil and gas. And they started growing families and realized the amount of time that they were spending away from their families. And that began to take a toll on their mental health. And so they also realized that there was a lot of disparities in mental health access for someone who doesn't have insurance. And so one of the greatest things about LA mental health is that we do take insurance and a lot of places don't. And if you are on a fixed income and you're not sure sometimes what your paycheck is going to be, if the market is really fluctuating, having insurance and having that support system when you need it is really helpful, especially when it comes to your mental health. And so Ashley and Dustin started LA Mental Health Tanglewood Office, and we've been around for about a year now. It'll be a year, I believe, in September. So we have several patients that we see within without insurance, and it's a really wonderful place to work because our therapists are really open and they're warm And at all the Ellie locations, but our off- I can only speak to our office, of course. Sure. We try to make it a much more inviting environment. We try to make it much more approachable and accessible, both in terms of how we operate as people. We're a little bit funny. We're a little bit quirky, just like anybody else, but accessible also in terms of taking insurance.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, I want to take this opportunity, since I have you on the show, you know, this is health, safety, and the environment, and mental health is an issue that is actually very critical and very important, but doesn't always get a lot of attention. So I wanted to take the opportunity to draw attention to it. If I were to ask you, Sable, for, let's say, the top five issues in mental health for both children and adults, what would that be?
1: So first, I think the biggest one that comes to mind is adjustment disorders. If anyone has ever been to a therapist, they've probably seen this pop up as one of the things that come after that intake assessment, after you have that first conversation with the therapist. Adjustment disorders can mean a lot of different things, but especially after the pandemic, we've all kind of experienced just a whirlwind of emotions, whether it be we're coming back to work after being work from home or we have to switch jobs because our previous job of pre-pandemic is no longer viable or just no longer something we enjoy doing. I think there was a lot of people that were changing careers after the pandemic because they realized what was important to them. You also have people that were are going through divorces or other relationships ending. And of course, we can't ignore the amount of people that died during the pandemic. So people very close to you may have died. So there's a lot of different things that someone may have to adjust to in life. And it's really about understanding what are the tools that you need to not necessarily get over what you've been through, but it's about how do I get through what I've been through? Because the quickest way around something is through it, right? And so it's a lot easier to talk about what you're going through. That's kind of what adjustment orders help you when you're diagnosed with an adjustment disorder. That's how you deal with it. Something else that people are going through too is anxiety. Anxiety is something that not a lot of people realize that they have, or they may use it or say that and not really realize it's a diagnosable condition. Anxiety can impact anyone, whether it be you're in a public setting and you start to get you know, heart palpitations, or you tend to overthink things, you think about bad things happening before anything has happened. You may be having some experiencing symptoms of anxiety. There's also a few incidents that people may have in their life that's impacted them, whether it be in their childhood or, like I said, even through the pandemic, where they may have PTSD. I think that's something that a lot of people are realizing that they are going through but PTSD, of course, is post-traumatic stress disorder. It is a diagnosable disorder, and it doesn't just affect people that are in the military. It can affect anyone that's been through a traumatic experience or witnessed a traumatic experience. I think about the many people that are in, you know, offshore drilling and they see accidents happen. They can easily be impacted by PTSD and not realize it. Well,
0: I hadn't thought about that I always associated PTSD with the military.
1: Yeah, absolutely. PTSD can happen to anyone, whether they've been in a abusive relationship or whether that's verbally or physically abusive, whether they've been assaulted in some way, whether they've been just in a really difficult experience where they haven't fully processed it yet, they could be experiencing PTSD. And it's really important to talk about some of those events that are kind of the markers of who you are or who you are becoming, because you may have PTSD. But yeah, like you said, it's not just for the military. It really is anybody that's gone through a very heralding experience where they've experienced something very traumatic. Something too that I that's a little tied to some of these is depression. And depression, of course, can occur in anyone. When we talk about depression, we're also, you have to talk about suicide too. But I think it's important for anyone to understand that just because you're depressed doesn't mean that you're suicidal. And just because you're suicidal doesn't mean that you're depressed. So when I say that, of course, the signs of depression, if someone isn't doing their usual activities, if someone isn't going out as much, if they're staying in bed a lot, if they you know are down on themselves quite a bit they may have a diagnosable condition of depression. But in a lot of cases, people who are depressed don't always want to die. Sometimes you have people that are, if you think about alcoholism, some people joke around and use the term like functional alcoholic. There's something called like functional depression, where you see someone and they seem like they're a happy-go-lucky person. They're smiling all the time. They're out with their loved ones. They wouldn't typically be considered depressed but then you find out later that they maybe have thoughts of suicide or they actually die by suicide. I know I've had family members and people close to me that I would have never thought had anything wrong with them. They had the perfect looking life, but then they died by suicide. So there's a misnomer that a lot of people think that depressed people automatically have to be a candidate for suicide. It definitely does make them more at risk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are suicidal.
0: I think we've all experienced that news of, you know, someone committed suicide and you're just totally shocked. You had absolutely no idea. Are there ways to recognize this or how do you do that?
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of different ways that you can support someone that might be at risk of suicide. And really, it's those little things that they say. Sometimes you may hear someone say, you know, oh, nobody needs me anymore, or this place doesn't need me, or, oh, I'm just good for nothing. Like you hear those little, I guess, lifelines that people are kind of throwing out there, because they really do need to talk to someone about getting more help. So as a supportive person, it's important to not just ask someone how they're doing, but then actually call attention to some of the things that you've noticed in them. If you're a friend or you're a close family member of theirs, you can say, hey, I've noticed that you're not going out as much. Or, hey, I've noticed that you seem really down on yourself. You know, Can you tell me more about what you're going through? And you have to be prepared for the answer. A lot of people are not prepared to sit down and listen to someone talk about these really sad and difficult feelings. If you really want to be that person then that's fantastic. But you just have to make sure that you're ready to listen to them.
0: And that is the key is listening, right?
1: Absolutely. Listening and then also providing some additional support for them. You are not their therapist. And even honestly, if I encountered someone like that, I'm not their therapist, even though I'm a licensed therapist. I want to make sure that they have the resources that they need in order to get to the next step. So the first step is them just even acknowledging to someone else that they're going through something. That's one of the most difficult things to do. And so you have to applaud someone if they're able to actually share with you what's going on with them. But then the next step for you as the supportive person is making sure that you talk with them about follow through. So what are some counselors that you can reach out to? Do you need me to help you like, look online for some counselors? If they're, of course, in a very dire situation where they are actively suicidal, so not just having the thoughts of suicide or a plan, but then they actually say that they are going to die by suicide. And by the way, we never say commit suicide too. You commit murder, you commit all these crimes. Suicide, we want to take the stigma away from it. So we say that someone dies by suicide or they're having suicidal thoughts. It kind of takes away some of the stigma and some of the shame that people feel. There's already a lot of shame within mental health still, but with suicide in particular, there's that extra layer of it being a shameful action or shameful thought to have. And so we have to get rid of that by saying someone wants to die by suicide. But something too that I wanted to mention as well is if you are the person that is helping them and giving them resources, also know that you are not immune to maybe feeling some difficult feelings after you have that conversation. So making sure that you also have some support systems in place for yourself. So reaching out to someone that you know and that you care about is already gonna be an impact on your mental health And so do you have family members? Do you have a mental health professional in your life that you wanna talk to? Last year, there was a number that was changed. The National Suicide Hotline was a very long number at first and it's now changed to the number 988. So just like 911 helps for physical emergencies or you know other emergency services 988 is available for people who are going through a mental health crisis as well so if you or anyone else that you know is going through those thoughts of suicide and wants to die by suicide then that 988 number is the perfect number that you can call and there's also a way that you can text it too so I know with younger people they don't necessarily want to call someone
0: <laughs> That's so texting also you yeah texting text, you, yeah, can text you can text 988
1: Yeah. It's really, really helpful. Yeah. So it's accessible to all ages, which is fantastic.
0: Now, folks, that was worth the price of admission right there because I did not know that. That's very useful information. Okay. So adjustment disorders, anxiety, PTSD, depression slash suicide, that's four. What would round out number five?
1: So something I wanted to mention too is eating disorders. And I know that's kind of an odd one to really think about, but If we think about all of the talk about like Ozampic and Wegovi and all of these other medicines that are used for people typically with type two diabetes. We have a lot of people that are coming out of the pandemic and maybe gained a few extra pounds. And they're thinking about, well, how can I slim down quickly for this upcoming wedding or this class reunion and all these other things. And they want to turn to some of those things. It's important to know that while you know they are, you have to get them through a licensed medical professional, and they are technically for people with type two diabetes, you do also have a handful of people that want to use it for those purposes of just kind of slim down.
0: Is that not a good idea?
1: Not necessarily, because what happens after you get off of these medications is that you gain the weight back. And so a lot of people don't realize that they have to be on these medications for the rest of their life in order to keep that weight off. So a lot of people, there's been some studies that are slowly coming out, about the impact that some of these medications has on people's self-esteem. And so sometimes you end up with going to additional extreme measures. So WeCoV and all these other medicines are incredibly expensive. And if you don't have a diagnosable condition in order to have those medicines covered by your insurance, you have to pay for them out of pocket. And they're thousands and thousands of dollars per shot. So you see what happens. A lot of people say that they can't afford that anymore. And so they turn to alternative ways to keep that weight off. So you've got anorexia, of course. You've got bulimia. Anorexia is when you starve yourself or you choose not to eat or eat very few calories. And then you also have bulimia, which is you choose to expel your food in some way, whether that be... And trigger warning, of course, I need to put that out there just in case someone is dealing with the eating disorder. There's a lot of different ways that you can develop an eating disorder, but something that's also not talked about too. So something that people experience through the pandemic is binge eating disorder. So if you have depression, if you have anxiety, if you have PTSD, you could be at risk of putting your emotions in some other way or dealing with your emotions in some other way. And one of those ways is binge eating. So eating a lot at one time. And binge eating disorder is not a really big talked about disorder, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. It's actually more prevalent in, I believe it's more prevalent in men than it is in women, but it's prevalent for everybody if they're dealing with their emotions in an unhealthy way. We tend to go towards food, right? It makes us feel good. But then there's an unhealthy way to do that, though, too.
0: Yeah, I have a binge disorder every Thanksgiving.
1: There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's an okay binge. That's that's okay. That's all right every once in a while. But when it happens a lot more, that's when it becomes a little bit more dangerous for sure.
0: Okay, so you talked about medication and these eating disorders. When we talk about all these various different mental health issues, does Ellie treat these with drugs or do you treat them with therapy or both or what?
1: Yeah, so what we do is we always encourage people to seek therapy and there's a lot of different things you can do in therapy. There's, of course, traditional talk therapy where you use all sorts of letters and stuff that you may have heard of, CBT, DBT, like all of these different things. So CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, dialectic behavior therapy, it gets you to change your behaviors, makes you kind of start thinking in a little bit of a different way. We sometimes call that reframing. So if you have a random bad thought that really isn't based in any reality, how do I change that thought into something that's more productive? How do I change my train of thinking, essentially? So you've got traditional talk therapy. Our location has a few therapists that do a couple different types of other therapy. So we see couples, we have something called EMDR, which is eye movement, rapid desensitization therapy. So EMDR does a lot of interesting things with, again, changing the thought process, but not necessarily just talk therapy. Ellie sees anyone from the ages of 15 up. Our location specifically has a lot of different therapists in terms of the types of therapy that they do, their personal background, their racial and ethnic background. But every Ellie across the country, including here in Houston, has diverse therapists that can deal with a wide range of issues. If you are wanting to seek medication for some things, because sometimes medicine doesn't hurt, especially if you're going through some more severe anxiety, severe depression, You maybe are going through alcoholism. I didn't mention that, of course, but we know a lot of people go through that. You may need some additional support. So we can certainly provide resources and referrals for those types of things. We ourselves don't provide any medication, though.
0: Okay. Well, Sable, this has been very enlightening. Just real quick, specifically, let's talk about the impact of mental health in oil and gas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, if any of your listeners are avid readers or enjoy reading scholarly articles, there's so much research out there about the obvious impact of mental health on your physical health because your mind controls everything else, right? There's actually a lot of research, too, that talks more in depth about mental health specifically affecting people in oil and gas in very specific ways. So there's a lot of direct but also indirect ways that it can affect the mental health of oil and gas, men and women. Of course, traditionally, I think I read that one in five people in oil and gas are women. And we know historically that males tend to not want to talk about their feelings. And that's okay. There's a lot of different ways that you can the topic of mental health, especially when it comes down to just brass tacks, right? you got direct costs and you have your indirect costs. Essentially, both of those costs are going to affect the bottom line. So when it comes to some of the direct costs of somebody's mental health, we have to first kind of look at what are some things that may be impacting somebody's mental health. So it could be something that I mentioned earlier, being just simply away from your family. If you have a new baby, if you have a new marriage, if you have family members that depend on you, or that you just want to see more often, and you're away all the time, and they're your support system, it can be very, very detrimental to your mental health. And then of course, if you're going through something with your partner, or if you have various pieces of your life that are unfinished, but you still have a job to do, all of those things can eventually start to take a toll on your mental health. So I mentioned some of the direct costs, and indirect costs. So the direct costs of not engaging in your mental health when it comes to oil and gas is first taking a look at absenteeism. If someone is not feeling good mentally, they will automatically start to call in sick. They'll start to want to take more medical leave or just regular leave. And that eventually develops in a loss of pay. And of course it develops into a loss of productivity for the organization. With that too, if you have an employee that you have to now lay off because they're constantly late. So now you've got a turnover problem. Of course, we know I've been in and out of organizations that I've had to hire and fire people Turnover is horrible. We don't want to have to fire someone just to hire someone else on, because it costs actually more to hire someone on as opposed to retaining someone, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So it's much easier to address what the problem is rather than having to have an employee either quit or resign, or we have to fire them. And then another direct cost would just be medical leave. So a lot of mental illnesses, of course, can affect you physically. And so now if you have like pre-existing physical conditions, they're pretty much exacerbated by a mental health condition. There's a lot of really interesting studies out there that do talk more about the brain physical connection But and I won't bore you with some of those statistics, but (laughs) a lot of that is really well written. And if you don't address those mental conditions, they do start to affect your physical health. And then now you have all of these medical claims and medical leaves having to be taken. Now you've got to have someone cover for that person because they are having to take more medical leave.
0: Well, another direct cost, and people are really beginning to take a look at this safety professionals, your mental health has a lot to do with safety. That's a big deal right now is human performance, you know, and that's part of it right there.
1: Yeah, and that's actually one of the, it's considered an indirect cost because we think about someone's, it's called reduced mental engagement. So the more, and this is of course in every industry, but in oil and gas, it could be the difference between life and death, right? So if you have an employee that has a mental health concern and they're going through it without seeking the proper help, They aren't really going to take that much time to also devote to their mental fortitude in the job. And so they're going to be less engaged. And like you said, it's going to impact safety. I can't think of the amount of like even small things at work I've done when I haven't been having a good day. Just think about it. If you're not having a good day, you are barely able to focus on anything else except for what's going on. You can't even type sometimes because you're so focused on what else you have going on. Now put that into context in oil and gas. When you have these situations where you have to have all of your physical and mental presence in that moment, how difficult and how dangerous would that be if someone has that going on and they're not able to address it?
0: That's absolutely right. And that's why you mentioned the example that I use I mean, if my stomach is hurting, you know, I know I've got some kind of physical problem probably, Mm -hmm. and there's no stigma about me calling up the doctor and going to the doctor and say, hey, doctor, my stomach's hurting. But for some reason or another, when it is a mental health issue, it's, oh, I can't, you know, I can't call the doctor about that. And so employers need to encourage and they need to focus on mental health as much as they do physical health or anything else, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many organizations now that, you know, again, one of the side effects of the pandemic is seeing the amount of energy that a mental health condition or a mental health crisis can have on someone and actually doing something proactive about it. There's a lot of employers that are now offering mental health days, or some people call it a my day. They don't necessarily want to call it a mental health day, but it's a my day. So it's outside of PTO and sick time. It really is a day where you can devote to yourself and it's a day of your choosing where you can decide you know what I woke up this morning I just had a fight with my wife I don't want to go in today I just need a day just to take care of my own mental health and not have to deal with anything else because I know I can't bring my best self to work and that's been so helpful for so many people and that sometimes that's I know with a few friends of mine that are at organizations that have that type of a program That is honestly the difference sometimes between them staying and them leaving an organization. Again, you have that turnover problem. So if you aren't really supporting people in all of the different aspects of their life, what are you doing to really say that you are vested in this person? You're not just a cog in the machine, but they really are there for a purpose. And how do we show that as employers? How do we show that we are supportive of our employees and that we value them as human beings, not just as a number or an employee ID number. We really do value what they bring and we hope that they bring their full selves. The best way that you can do that is really put your money where your mouth is and invest in these types of programs that offer some sort of a way to give back to employees and honor the fact that they are a whole person, not just one physical part of them, but really they are a whole person.
0: Oh, that's well said. That's a good place to put a bookmark here, Sable. One final question, and I'm glad to introduce to our audience Ellie, and you said they are all across the nation. And we'll put the uh, website information in there. We'll put your uh, LinkedIn contact information in as well. Does Ellie have specific programs for employers?
1: Yes. So we accept a lot of different EAP programs or employee assistance programs. And if you aren't familiar with an EAP program, that just means your employer has invested some money into you seeking some mental health support, at least for five or six visits. Sometimes it's up to eight, depending on the employer. And those are free. Those are free completely free of cost to you and then a lot of different LEs, including us at Tanglewood, we have a lot of different we're in con- or under the contract of a lot of different insurance carriers so Cigna, Aetna, Blue Cross Blue Shield of course, which is like the largest one, sure Optum, which is a subsidiary of United Healthcare. we accept a lot of different insurances. so even if you're done with your Eap, your therapist can possibly still continue to see you because they're probably going to be in network with with one of those providers.
0: Okay. Well, that's great. Sable, we really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Russell. I appreciate it.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. This was a, a very worthwhile conversation. Thanks to everybody out there, as always, for listening. I got a nice review from somebody on LinkedIn the other day. If you can write us good reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or just simply the review link that's in the show notes, uh, we really appreciate it. As always, please tell your friends to listen. We're all over LinkedIn out there. When you see it, repost us on LinkedIn and your other social media. And finally, we want to say thank you again to our sponsor knowledge vine their website link and other contact information is also in the show notes if you want to discover the best human and performance we talked about that a while ago human performance improvement training and technologies that have been adapted from the nuclear and aviation industries and knowledge vine is your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting knowledge vine is error reduction that works and we'll see you next time